0: Uh, looking together at his glory uh, with you right now. If you'll uh, take your Bible and turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, we're back in the Gospel of Luke again today. I'm excited to be here. Uh, Last week we uh, took a a break uh, and kind of fast-forwarded to the end of the story, or at least towards the end of the story, closer to the end of the story, and talked about the resurrection. Uh, But now we're back, going back to the beginning and looking at Luke chapter 4. And uh, as you know, we've been walking our way through the Gospel of Luke uh, this past year, and we're in Luke chapter 4, which describes the start of Jesus' ministry. So he is introducing us to the claims that he's making about Jesus in the first couple of chapters, and uh, then he starts looking at his ministry. How did Jesus understand what he was coming to do? And what I want us to do Today, I want us to spend another Sunday thinking together about miracles, uh, specifically miracles like Jesus casting out demons and doing all uh, of this healing, because this is something unusual, for sure, and uh, this is something Jesus did a lot. When uh, Luke introduces us to Jesus' ministry, first he presents Jesus' teaching in verses 16 through 30. And then he talks about Jesus doing all of these miracles in verses 31 through 44, and we see that he exercises authority over a demon, and he heals uh, Peter's mother-in-law, and uh, then he heals pretty much anyone who was sick in a whole city, and he casts out all kinds of demons. And so that's uh, kind of our theme today, miracles, Uh, Jesus, miracles, and you, I guess, or, or Jesus, miracles, and us, even. And I'm not going to argue so much about whether uh, Jesus did miracles. So that's not my primary question, to prove that Jesus did miracles. For one thing, because that's not the question that Luke is as interested in answering. He just assumes it. Everybody knew it. Though it is a question that I know uh, people nowadays, where we're from, tend to ask. Uh, Now, it's not a question that people everywhere ask. It's not even a question that people for most of human history have asked, but it is a question that people today, where we're from, tend to ask. Did Jesus really do miracles? In our culture, there's a a general skepticism about miracles, and I'd say especially about miracles in the Bible, which is kind of funny, actually, or strange, if you think about it. You have to be a little skeptical of all the skepticism, really, because it's not so much that people don't believe in the supernatural at all, usually, if we look around. Because I was thinking at first that was kind of the issue, but then I realized I might be wrong, I'm not so sure actually, because there are many people who seem to be interested in the supernatural and open to it. Like I was reading somewhere that they say around 40% of Americans believe in ghosts, and 20% say they've seen one. So it's not like people are not willing to believe in the supernatural at all. Even if you say you saw a ghost, people will be like, no, did you? No, maybe, or, and this is not really supernatural, I know, but it's weird, aliens. People will believe in aliens pretty quickly. I was in Malibu at a Starbucks a a while back, and a guy was just sure he had seen an alien. He was was drinking when he saw it, sure, but he he knew, (laughs) He had seen an alien. So it's, it's not like we're skeptical about everything. That's what I'm saying. We're skeptical about certain things that we've been taught to be skeptical about. And we've been taught to be skeptical about most of the miracles in the Bible, for sure. I know we like to say it's science. That's the argument. We say science is against it. But it's not really science that's against it. It's a way of thinking about science. We're trained to think a certain way about science and about miracles as well. And I think for the most part, we're trained or taught basically to think that we don't have to take miracles seriously because miracles are impossible. And why are they impossible? It's because there's no evidence, uh, there's no evidence. And by evidence though, we mean a certain kind of evidence because, and here's the key, if anybody tries to give you evidence then, well, you don't have to take their evidence seriously because the only kind of people who think miracles happened are people who believe in the impossible. So their evidence is no good. It's a circle for sure. It's impossible. Why is it impossible? There's no evidence it happened. But here's evidence it happened. But no, sorry, we can't accept that evidence. Why can't we accept that evidence? Because it's impossible. It's like miracles don't happen even when they happen because miracles don't happen. If I can't explain it by science, then it's just because I don't have enough science to explain it. For people who say we're open-minded, in our culture we tend to be pretty close-minded. And so it's going to be hard to satisfy many people when it comes to the miracles in the Bible because there's something more going on. And I'm sure there's actually a lot more going on, but one thing that is going on is that we all, need a final authority for what we believe is true. And we all have a final authority, every one of us. And as Christians, our final authority is God's word. And so when we look at God's word, and in particular Luke here, you know, we don't really have to spend a lot of time asking if Jesus did miracles because clearly Luke emphasizes this was an important part of Jesus's ministry. Even here in Luke chapter 4, verse 42 if you you look at it it says multitudes were searching for jesus and and when day came or when it was day he departed and went into a desolate place and the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them why i mean why did people follow jesus around like this one big reason is because jesus did miracles verse 40 now when the sun was setting all those who had any were sick With various diseases, brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And that's definitely what they were excited about and why they didn't want Jesus to go. And we'll see as we keep reading the gospel that Jesus did many amazing things everywhere. So many that even Jesus' enemies have to come up with an explanation. And they say he must be what? Of the devil, which is not something that you would expect Jesus' followers to write down right that the religious leadership of Jesus's day the men everyone thought were the scholars and the best of the best said that Jesus was of the devil and yet they write that down because they're telling us what actually happened and and why why was that an argument that the religious leadership even brought up they brought it up because Jesus did signs and wonders there was something absolutely unexplainable about Jesus I know people are like, well, everybody back then believed in miracles. They were just going around saying everything was a miracle. But if that were true, nobody would have been that excited about Jesus, right? He wouldn't have been that shocking. The reason they were excited about Jesus is because he went around doing things nobody had seen before and that's not just the gospels that say that actually Joseph, josephus a jewish historian around 93 a.d or so says jesus was a doer of startling deeds another document around the same time says he was killed because he was a sorcerer and so the question for us is not really did jesus do miracles but i i, I do think as we see jesus doing all these miracles we might ask are we supposed to be doing them as well if if we believe in miracles that's a pretty relevant question and it's definitely something i got asked a lot in africa most africans i knew absolutely did not question whether or not they, there could be miracles but they did wonder whether or not our ministry should be characterized by these specific demonstrations of miraculous power As well which i think is a good question really because we read luke and we're going to see jesus doing a lot of it and so i think it makes sense to ask whether or not what we're seeing here should be how we go about doing ministry as well that's that's the question we're thinking about today not can god do miracles because of course if god created the world god can do miracles But instead, should we expect God to be doing all sorts of signs and wonders in physical ways on a regular basis in our church through certain appointed or anointed individuals? And that's a a key part of the question, actually, that last part. Because again, it's not whether or not God can do miracles or whether or not Jesus did miracles. And I want to emphasize that so loudly because God's God. And he can do miracles anytime, of course. And the question is not if you should pray for healing, because, of course, you should pray for healing. And it's not whether we should pray for each other for healing either. We should pray for each other for sure. But the question is whether we should expect God to be doing these miracles on a regular basis through a human agent, like we see Jesus doing in the gospel. And I guess you'll have to be a little patient with me because part of why I asked this question, and I'm going over it twice, a couple of weeks ago and and now again, is because there is a lot of those kinds of miracles in the Gospels and Acts. So we're just at the beginning of Luke, and we're going to see this coming up over and over again, and especially if we keep reading through the book of Acts. And I want us to think about this question because I got asked this so often in Africa. My church, we were in the inner city, and so there were people coming from all over Africa, living there, moving there. And when they got to Pretoria, many were looking for a church, and you know, the most common thing they were looking for was basically a miracle center, and uh, specifically someone who could do miracles. And so they would come to Living Hope, that was the name of our church, and they would wonder, can Pastor Josh do this? There were so many people making claims, and people were hurting. They were in trouble, and as a result, many people were not thinking so much, you know, where can I go to hear God's word faithfully explained and taught and applied to my life? As they were thinking instead, where can I go where someone can heal me or or give me a word of prophecy or where I, I can at least see a miracle? And one part I appreciate about that, actually, is that at least they were taking what happened in Luke seriously, right? They were reading these gospel accounts and believing this happened and asking, isn't this what the Bible says? Shouldn't what was happening there happen now? If it says that Jesus healed people and cast out demons, if that's part of what Luke says was his ministry, isn't that what we should be doing as well, just carrying on with what jesus did and i I think we should ask questions like that because we want to have the kind of ministry that jesus wants us to have and the only way we can know what kind of ministry jesus wants us to have is by studying his word because it's not how i grew up or you grew up or what i'm comfortable with or what you're comfortable with or what i like or what you like it is what does god's word say and at first, reading the Gospels, it seems like maybe you might expect this is how our ministry should go, because the fact is, Jesus' is did. And look, obviously I'm not going to answer every question about healing and miracles and casting out demons and those kinds of ministries today, and there are other passages that are going to bring up other questions that I need to think about more, honestly, myself, and that we need to think about more two, before we can come to a final conclusion, but what I want to do is get a start by looking more closely at exactly what's happening with Jesus and these miracles here in Luke, because before we can talk about our ministry right now, how our ministry is supposed to go, we need to make sure that we really understand what was going on with Jesus's ministry first. If we get that wrong, we're going to get everything else wrong as well. So I want us to look at one What Jesus did, two, why Jesus did it, and then three, what Jesus said about it. Kind of simple, I know, but if we're gonna talk about miracles, we need to make sure we're, first of all, talking about the same kind of miracles that Jesus was actually doing. Because it's not enough, really, for someone to say, you need to do miracles like Jesus. We need to ask, are the miracles that you say you're doing? actually like Jesus's, right? And one reason we have to ask that is because sometimes what people think of as miracles today is different than the kind of miracles that Jesus did. So for example, a very obvious example, but sometimes you'll find people using the word miracle uh, very loosely. And by miracle, they almost mean anything good that happens to them. So if they get a parking spot, like right after they pray uh, for one, then they'll say, what a miracle or if they're concerned about someone and they're praying for them and then that person gives them a call the moment they're praying for them, they say, what a miracle. And that, that kind of stuff is great. We serve a God who is active. It's real. It's an answer to prayer. And it's part of how God works in this world right now. But they're not actually miracles uh, technically. They're, they're more just demonstrations of God's providence. God is in control and he's controlling what happens. But a miracle is more of God obviously stepping into human history to do something different than how things normally work. It's not just anything that good that happens. It's an absolutely out of the ordinary event that is accomplished directly by God that is pretty much unexplainable through the normal way humans explain things. And Jesus, as we've been seeing, did them and lots of them and when he did these miracles, they had certain characteristics, which I mentioned last time, but I want to run through them again. This is important. First, most of the time they were immediate, like Simon's mother-in-law back in verse 38. She was sick, high fever, and yet when Jesus healed her, instantly she was able to get up and start serving. And that was pretty much the way it was Anytime Jesus healed someone. Second, Jesus' miracles were public and undeniable. So he didn't always do them in big crowds, but usually there were people there. And we see even here in Luke 4 verse 30 that the whole city was showing up uh, and Jesus was laying his hands on all kinds of people and and healing every one of them. And, And so Later in Acts, when the apostles went out talking about Jesus there in Israel to the Jewish people, they said straight up, Jesus was doing miracles in their midst. And you know what? The people knew that. No one raised their hand and said, what are you talking about? There is no one who argued with that. There's never any denying it because it was too obvious. Third, they, they took place on ordinary, unplanned occasions. And so this is just to say that while Jesus did often draw crowds and do miracles like here in Capernaum the whole city was there we don't see Jesus holding like big healing crusades or putting up a sign somewhere in the city that said hey for a certain amount of money you can come get healed or something instead Jesus's healings all seem pretty spontaneous unplanned unexpected Fourth, Jesus healed people of real diseases, and and sometimes those included illnesses that were absolutely untreatable by the medical community. So Jesus didn't just heal people with bad backs. He made paralyzed people walk. He didn't just heal someone who had a headache. He cleansed people of leprosy. And you can see in verse 40, that's actually the verse, Luke points out in in verse 40, that he healed people of various diseases. And as we read through the rest of the Gospel of Luke, we'll see those diseases include leprosy, paralysis, death, which I I guess is not really a disease, but obviously a problem. And then there is a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, someone who was bent over for 18 years and couldn't straighten herself, and then, of course, blindness. And so it wasn't someone just like someone with a, a really bad headache coming to Jesus, because that would have been easy to question because who knows if you really had that headache, right? And so if I supposedly heal you, who knows if I'm the one who did it? But if you're blind and you can't see, that's pretty obvious. And one reason Jesus' miracles were like that is because people didn't just automatically believe. They weren't just uh, sort of ascribing everything to miracles that happened. In fact, you remember that one blind man in John that Jesus healed. And then later people were like, is this you? Was it really you? And then the the Pharisees investigated and they questioned and they doubted so much that they even brought in his parents. Jesus' healings were undeniable. And then fifth, total and complete. And again, this is part of what made what Jesus was doing so obviously supernatural because this was not like someone squinting and being able to see some really, really super big letters under a bright light or something like, I think that might be an A. Oh, it's a miracle. No, this is blind people who, who normally were sitting there on the side of the road uh, as beggars asking for money because they couldn't see anything. Or, you know, like if they walked, they would walk into walls, and then suddenly they see everything which, again, is, is different than some of the supposed miracles we see people claiming to be faith healers doing. And, and look, again, God heals people, even now, and, and sometimes in amazing ways. But there are people out there who claim to be faith healers, and I've seen it with my eyes, actually, how some of those people make it difficult for others to see the glory of Christ. They're not leading people to Jesus. They're distracting people from Jesus. And one way they are confusing people is by supposedly doing these miracles. But when you look more closely at the kind of miracles they're doing, often they're obviously very different than the ones Christ did. And so sometimes people might say, you get into a discussion and they might say, why don't you do more miracles like Jesus did? And if they believe in miracles, you can be glad. You can be like, I am so glad that you believe God can intervene in this world. I do, too. There's a lot of people out there that don't believe that. I'm glad that you believe God can intervene in this world. But at the same time, so can Satan, right? Plus, there are wicked people out there, and so we need to be careful. And so if they point you to what some big famous healer is doing as almost like a proof, you're not doing what Jesus is doing, you might say, well, slow down, because I'm not sure that he's doing what Jesus did either, because... You don't usually find them doing healings that are immediate, public, verifiable, undeniable, real, and total, which uh, should make you ask the next question about the miracles we see Jesus doing. If the healings we're seeing these people do are so different than the ones Jesus did, maybe we better look at what Jesus did again and ask, why did Jesus do it? So we talked about what Jesus did. Now why did Jesus do it? And that's another hint that something different is going on with Jesus than with some of what we've seen some places. Because you know, even though we have been talking primarily about the miracles Jesus did at the end of chapter four, if you remember the way the chapter begins, it begins with cho- Jesus choosing not to do certain miracles. So back in the wilderness, Satan asked Jesus to do two miracles. And the first miracle was to turn the stones into bread. And the second was to jump off the temple. And Jesus said no to both because he didn't just do miracles for the sake of doing miracles. In fact, even in his hometown, he told them he wasn't going to do any miracles there because the miracles he did had a very specific purpose. While Satan wanted Jesus to do miracles to get what he wanted or to do miracles to make himself a celebrity, that wasn't God's purpose for Miracles. Miracles have a purpose. It's not like God's up in heaven, and he's like, "You know what? I really need to get something done today." Uh, 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 I need a miracle. Let's do a miracle. That, that's how I can get something done." No, God is in control of everything. And he's not just wishing things could go differently down here. He is able to do whatever He wants to do. And he is. God is acting behind the scenes in what happens every day. And so we don't actually really need miracles to not get sick or to overcome sickness. Sometimes the people, the reason people are so interested in miracles is because they don't appreciate God's ordinary providence. It's almost like they think the way that it works normally is that God is up in heaven and he has no idea what's going on in this world, or at least he's uninvolved, and then he puts these laws in motion, and he's like, oh, I'm glad I put those laws in motion, because yeah, now I can take a nap, and he just kind of lets it go, and when things get really bad and out of control, that's when they have to pray, and sort of try to get God to wake up, and hope maybe we can get him to come back from vacation, so that he'll finally get to work, but no, like that's what the idolatrous prophets in the book of Kings thought about God. We know God is always at work, and ordinarily, of course, he's at work in this world through second causes, those things we call scientific laws. He's behind every one of them, every moment, causing them to work the way he designed them to work. And so all nature right now and absolutely every circumstance is acting as a servant of God to get accomplished exactly what he wants to get accomplished, which is awesome. It's it's just as amazing as a miracle when you realize that God is so wise and so powerful that he can orchestrate all the little events of life so that we don't get sick or so that we do. He's in control of all the bacteria and all the viruses in this world, all of our organs, every beat of our heart. And so there is a sense in which we don't really need miracles to live the life God wants us to live. He can totally get us exactly where he wants without a miracle. But he does use miracles at certain points through history. Not because he was in trouble and just had to get something done and he couldn't get it done any other way. But instead, there are times when God chooses to act in a unique way, not in a more powerful way, because sustaining the universe the way he does every day is pretty powerful. But there are times when he works in a different way in nature, directly bypassing the secondary causes, and he does that for a specific purpose. It's not random. And the purpose seems to have been, as you look at scripture, authenticating a particular man's ability to speak for him, and especially to give new revelation on his behalf. So it's not just that he does miracles to show that he's powerful, because nature already does a good job of that. If your eyes are open and you're looking at nature, you're going to walk away and say, what a God. So he doesn't do miracles to impress us, because it actually wouldn't work if we're not already impressed by nature. Instead, miracles have revelational significance. That's the key, I think, to understanding miracles. Miracles are things God has done to carry out his great saving plan. They have revelational significance. And so that's what he was doing with Moses. If you think back to the book of Exodus, when God came to Moses, who was basically the first miracle worker, And he calls Moses to represent him, to speak his words and to deliver his people. Moses doesn't want to do it. And so he argues with God. And his excuse is, how are people going to know that I represent you, that I'm speaking on your behalf? And what does God do? God enables Moses to accomplish miracles. The power to work miracles was going to validate the claim to speak for God. In fact, we could probably blow that up a little bigger. Because the Exodus was this major saving event in the history of Israel. If you're reading the Old Testament, the Exodus, in, the way it works in the Old Testament, it's almost like the resurrection in the new. It's, it's just like such a key part of what God was doing with Israel. And with the miracles, it's not only how were the people to know that Moses was speaking for God, but how were the people to know that God was really doing the saving there, that he had this special plan that he was accomplishing through Moses for them. And again, it was those signs and wonders that Moses accomplished. And if you read the account, you'll see that those miracles were God's way of saying to Pharaoh, to Egypt, and to the world, and and especially to Israel, that he was the Lord and that he was the one delivering his people. And you know, he designed it so that later generations would find encouragement and know he had saved Israel and them and that he alone was God. Not so much by doing fresh miracles, but by reflecting and remembering the signs and wonders he had accomplished as he rescued Israel. You know, God did not do new exoduses every couple of years. Instead, if an Israelite ever got discouraged and started wondering if God was for them, they were to look back to the original exodus and find assurance in the way God delivered them miraculously through Moses. Psalm 105, verse 5, puts it like this. Remember the wondrous works that he has done, his miracles. And what miracles is he talking about? He's talking about Moses, the plagues, and the exodus, which is pretty much the same basic reason for the miracles Jesus performed as well. They weren't just for fun, and they definitely weren't random. Here in Luke 4, as Luke describes the beginning of Jesus's ministry, he opens up with Jesus preaching from Isaiah and saying the spirit of the Lord was upon him to proclaim a message, that's what he came to do. But how do we know that message he preached was really a revelation from God, especially with its new insights into the mystery of God? That's why Luke tells us about Jesus' miracles. As one man explains, the primary purpose of Jesus' miracles was to confirm his credentials as God's final and ultimate messenger who spoke infallibly for God. Which makes sense when you think about what Jesus was claiming. It makes sense that Jesus, when he comes and says that he's sent from God, that he's going to defeat Satan, he's going to set us free from captivity to him, proves that he can do that by setting people free from demonic Possession and that Jesus, when he comes and says he's going to heal the diseases of our souls and forgive us of all of our sins and calls on us to believe him, would prove that he can by healing the diseases of our bodies. These were not just random, they were proofs. How do we know he has the power to rise us from the dead? He rose from the dead to take us to heaven, he ascended to heaven. These are signs when John the Baptist sent his disciples and asked, how can we know you're the Messiah? Jesus said to John, what what have you seen and heard? Go back and tell him what you've seen and heard. He tells the disciples how the blind received their sight and the lame walk. And, And when the Pharisees get upset with Jesus and say he was of the devil, Jesus comes back to them and talks about his casting out of demons. And he says, if I cast out demons by the spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And this is something John, the Apostle John, makes a big deal of as well. Listen to John 5, verse 36, where Jesus explains his miracles. He says, the very works that I do testify about me, that the Father has sent me. And so it's like Jesus is saying, if you know, I'm saying big things about myself here, and if you need a testimony as to who I am and my relationship with God, look at what I do. Look at the miracles. These are God's authentication of me as the ultimate and final messenger. And then in John chapter 6 verse 14 we read when people saw this sign and that's the feeding of the 5000 which he had performed. It's a sign. And what was it a sign that point what did that sign point to? Sign point to something. This was their conclusion. When the people saw this sign, they said, "This is truly the prophet who was, was to come into the world." And in chapter 7, verse 31, John writes, But many of the crowd believed in him, and they were saying, When the Messiah comes, he will not perform more signs than those which this man has, will he? As one man has explained, the main reason the Spirit empowered Jesus to perform miracles was to confirm that he spoke the very words of God, that he was everything he claimed to be, which I think is why he gave the gift of miracles to the apostles as well, actually. We're we're not in the book of Acts, but... um, this is why Jesus did miracles and the apostles as well, and I'm quoting, but this is good. The, the miraculous gifts that accompanied the apostles were intended to confirm that they were God's genuine instruments of revelation, just as they had been with Moses, with the Old Testament prophets, Elijah and Elisha, and with Jesus himself. I remember when I was a kid, we had a pool out in our backyard, and I was pretty young, but I would stand on the edge of that pool And I would always, you know, try to, like, step onto it and hope that I could walk on water. And, like, if I just have enough faith, you know, and then every time just (laughs) right down. And that's, uh, you know, kind of cute for a kid. But that wasn't the purpose of Jesus' miracles, just to assure some little child in the back of his yard. The miracles, the apostles and Jesus were making big claims. They were going around and saying things like, we have revelation from God that explains everything he's doing in the old testament and the universe. And you know it's about this man Jesus who died on a cross. And of course people will be like, "Yeah, that's great, but how do we know that what you're saying is from God?" And God gave them the ability to heal and perform other miracles as a testimony to that, to, to validate their message and their work and and especially the message they proclaimed which now serves as a foundation for us these thousands of years later and even now when we're worried and we're discouraged and wondering about what God's doing, we look back and we find confidence in the signs and wonders these men did. So how the writer of Hebrews speaks about miracles. And this is an important passage. You might want to write it down. But Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, he says, Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we've heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message delivered by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared to us at first by the Lord, and it was attested to to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. And so through the miracles... God was bearing witness to the message of Jesus and the apostles. That was their basic purpose. And, and look, listen, because I know I'm not answering every question about miracles, and I have questions too. And the goal is definitely not to say that God can't work through miracles today. God can do what he wants. But what I am saying is that in general, it doesn't really surprise me that I'm not able to do the kinds of miracles that Moses did, that Elijah did, that Jesus did that the apostles did. Because I'm not giving new revelation the way they did. In other words, we play a different role in salvation history. The Bible's not just like a a bag of marbles that you can pick out a marble and look at it and say, oh, this marble is is my marble. It's it's like more like marbles that are in chunks. And so when you pull out one marble, you got to look at the chunk of other marbles that are around it. God's working in a line. There are, it's progressive. There are different phases of salvation history and we're at a different phase in salvation history. We have the revelation here in the scriptures and it's already been verified by miracles and because we're not getting new revelation today in the same way, we shouldn't really be expecting God to be doing the kinds of miracles Jesus performed through some anointed individual because it wouldn't fit their purpose. And I don't know if that seems disappointing to you, uh, but if we're thinking straight, we'll see that we can be encouraged because we actually have something even more significant and important to do as a church than these kinds of miracles. And we know that because even Jesus did. And so if someone asks me, why aren't you doing what Jesus did? One thing I want to assure them is that it's not because we don't believe in the Spirit or believe in miracles. That would be like just one of the biggest daggers that people would always, they would sometimes say, you know, they say, oh, you're you're a word church, not a spirit church. And I'd be like, I am so confused by what you mean by that, because the spirit of God works through the word of God. If we're not a spirit church, sit down, close up, go home. The spirit of God is at work today. How? Through the word of God. And so I always want to assure people, look, it's not, if, if we don't do these kinds of things that you've seen, it's not because we don't believe in the Spirit or believe in miracles, because we do. But I would want to look at the Gospels with them again and encourage them to look at what Jesus actually did and consider why Jesus did it. And then third, and this is probably the most important, think about what Jesus explicitly said. And now we're really looking at our text, verse 42. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And Mark tells us this was early in the morning. Actually, Mark says, while it was still dark, he went to a desolate place in order to pray, which is amazing, I think, with how tired Jesus must have been. Because he was a a man, and I don't know, but can you imagine spending the morning preaching, and then from, from morning till sunset, healing all who were sick and oppressed by demons and interacting with all those people and needy people too. The whole city came out to him. And we, did, we don't know when they left. We don't know if they left. I'm sure Jesus, healing all those people, most everyone would have wanted to stay around to watch. And so here Jesus has been ministering all night, late into the night. And yet at some point when things quiet down a little, he takes the first chance he can to go out and spend some time alone with God. I love that. I wish I were more like that. Because Jesus wasn't just out there doing things for God. He loved God, and he wanted to be with God. He had a relationship as a man with God, and so he makes sacrifices to spend time alone with God. Though we don't know how much time he got here, really, because it doesn't seem like it was very long until people started noticing that he was missing, and they didn't like it. In fact, as you read the story, especially in Mark, It seems like there's a kind of desperation that develops. And you can understand it because imagine someone coming to where you stay who wasn't just pretending to do miracles, but who was actually healing people in a spectacular way. Everyone he touches is getting better. How do you think people would respond to that? They probably were thinking they had it made. They probably were thinking, we can't let this guy go anywhere. He needs to be here every moment so we'll never get sick again. They're probably thinking, with this kind of power at our disposal, we'll never need anything again. That's why they have to find him. They didn't want him to leave. In fact, when Simon finds Jesus, Peter, the way Mark tells us, it's like he almost rebukes him, which is not surprising if you know uh, Simon. He says, everyone's looking for you. In other words, what are you doing out here praying when you've got this city at your feet willing to do whatever you ask? And while I don't know what Simon was thinking exactly at this point, it's not hard to guess what everybody else wanted. They were wanting what a lot of people want from Jesus. They wanted Jesus to be their resident miracle worker. Stay and heal us of all our diseases, which you might think would be exciting, because isn't that kind of what we want? We want people excited about Jesus. And you can understand why they're excited. And yet, you know, this is important. As we look down at the text, Jesus wasn't quite as impressed. He refused, verse 43, and he didn't refuse because he wasn't compassionate or he didn't care about sick people or something like that. He refused because God had sent him to do something even more important. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And you can kind of bold print that in your mind because it's a really important statement. It's like an exclamation point. Because it's Jesus explaining Jesus, specifically his mission. I must, he says. Whenever you see that in Luke, you know you're about to read something really important. He says, I was sent for this purpose. And this is a key verse for Luke because he wants us to understand what was the driving purpose of Jesus' public ministry. It was preaching the good news. Jesus came to preach the kingdom of God. And that was even more important than staying there in Capernaum which is really kind of intense, <laughs> because Jesus had, listen, Jesus had just spent the whole night healing people and casting out demons, which I don't know about you, but that seems kind of significant, you know, healing all those people. You can, you can picture it. There's this person over there who's been paralyzed, and Jesus makes him walk, and then there's, there's this other person who's got some tumor growing out some growth and is about to die and jesus heals them completely it's kind of like i don't know if you've ever seen um, pictures of someone with hiv who didn't have access to the medicines and then later you see them on the medicines that and the transformation is so total it's like is that even the same person and you can you imagine being able to accomplish that in someone's life with a word it's absolutely huge. And you would probably think, just like the people in Capernaum did, this is it. This is the most important thing a per- person can do. This is the purpose to be able to enter a hospital and go bed to bed and clear out the place in a day. Kaiser's like, oh, I don't know if Kaiser's like that in terms of the. But, and Jesus actually says here, There is something more important. I I, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose, which obviously doesn't minimize the importance of healing or casting out demons, but it does maximize the importance of preaching the good news of the kingdom of God, even when it came to Jesus' own ministry. The healings and casting out of demons was not the primary thing. Preaching was. And you know, when you think about that, it's really shocking. It is like, how can that be? Did the Bible just say that? Because here's a guy over here who's sick, really sick, and you have the chance to heal him. And then over here, you have the chance to speak a message, words, to a group of people, a new group of people. And which is the priority? Which is more urgent? That's the question. Which is more essential? At the end of the day, Jesus said, preaching was and it's like wait a second how is that how is that even possible because i will tell you for most unbelievers that is not possible they cannot understand that that's almost more shocking than saying jesus did miracles saying that the miracles weren't the most important thing jesus did and the reason they can't understand that is because they have a completely different view of the world than we do because for most unbelievers, this life is all they've got. And so it's, it's the way they think about it, at least. It's now, and then it's death, and then they're in the ground. And so for them, there's no way in the world that speaking a message could be more important than physically healing someone and rescuing them from dying. It's like if you think about most people's life goal in America, I think most people's life goal in America is to survive. That's what's most important, surviving. And so whatever can help me do that, that's got to be priority, which is kind of a sad life goal because it's not, <laughs> not going to happen. But it is many people's life goal. And as Christians, we're different, however, because we don't believe this world's all we have. We actually think our life now is just a moment, and it's like a super small part of our life. And we believe that the life that comes after this one lasts way, way longer than this one. And there's going to be this kingdom that the whole Bible's leading up to where Jesus comes back and defeats all of his enemies and ours and establishes his rule forever. And so, of course, we're interested in this little tiny moment, this little tiny 80 years or so. We're interested in that because we're in it, but we should be even more interested in what comes next. And that's how preaching the message can be more important. It's like Jesus is saying here, look, being comfortable is fine. It's great to be healed. But my primary purpose is not just to make people a little more comfortable for a few moments before they die. Instead, it is to make an announcement about the way in which God is accomplishing the eternal salvation they need most. Because for Jesus, it's this lasting salvation that matters most. And it should be what matters most for us, because we have a different worldview than the unbelievers around us. And that's actually even part of why we believe in miracles, right? I mean, our whole faith is based on a miracle, the resurrection, and even the Bible itself is a miracle. And we believe, we totally believe God has, and God can, and God does intervene in this world to accomplish his will in ways that are impossible for us as humans. And not just in the past, but even now. It's kind of basic to our worldview. We believe things unbelievers don't. And that's also part of why we know miracles aren't the absolute most important priority. Because we know God has a plan A good one. Things are not random. History does not just go on and on and on. There's a plan. There's a plan. And so we're looking forward to this great day that's coming when God is going to reveal his rule over all things. That's the plan. He is going to break into human history in a shocking way. That's where things are headed. God defeating all his enemies once and for all that's the kingdom of god and that means reversing the curse this is where history is headed count on it god is going to perfectly and completely take all the effects of sin out of this universe every sinner is going to be judged every believer is going to be perfected all the problems that come as a result of sin are going to be wiped away that is the kingdom of god that he promised That is what the kingdom of God is. It is to defeat all the enemies of God, which include the devil, which includes sickness, which includes sin, and not just for a little while, but forever. And so what motivates us as a church is preaching the good news about how God is accomplishing all that through Jesus Christ so that people can experience that kingdom. This is what the Bible is about. It tells us how it's going to happen, and this is what the miracles were about. They show us what it's going to be like when the king comes back for good. And so when things aren't going well now, we might pray for healing. My wife's knee is hurting every night when she goes to bed, and I'm praying for healing. I sometimes wish I could just put my hand over there on it, and suddenly, ooh, it works. (laughs) So we long, of course we long, for God to heal individuals. And we believe God can heal individuals. I I just saw someone wrote a a 1,200-page book with all kinds of documentations of healings. But we don't believe because of that book or, or the documentation, but because the Bible says it. We believe God can heal, but healing's not the centerpiece of our ministry. It's not the focus. And one reason is because we see it wasn't even the centerpiece of Jesus's own ministry. We want to focus our attention and our energy on preaching and a message that has the ability to save someone, not just from a cold or cancer for a little while, as bad as that is, but forever. We want to see them delivered, not just from some evils, but from every single last one. And I guess some people might think well, if we did more of these miracles, maybe more people might believe. But no, I wish. I wish that were true. But they wouldn't. How about God hanging a, a spinning globe in the middle of nothing? You know, that, would that be enough? Like just this huge globe in the middle of nothing, the, the only planet that people live on. <laughs> would that be enough to maybe start getting people to think, I wonder if there's a creator? No, instead they look at like uh, other things like, I wonder if I came from that. <laughs> they, they, they wouldn't. Miracles would not do that. Because, and, and we know that not just because of a silly joke like that, but because they didn't. And we know that because even later in Capernaum, they end up rejecting Jesus. Because it's not about the proof, ultimately. That's not why people don't believe in miracles. And that's not why people don't believe in Jesus. Because we have proof here in the Gospels that Jesus did miracles. He rose from the dead. We have it in the record. But it's not about that, ultimately. It's about submitting to the authority of Jesus over your life. That's what it takes. And so while it's true, if people see miracles, they might get excited about Jesus as a miracle worker, but that definitely does not mean they will want to submit to Jesus as Lord. Which is maybe not the final answer or the complete answer as to why we don't have healings and miracle services and don't seem to focus on all that. And there are some other texts we would have to work through, like 1 Corinthians 12 and even Acts, but this is a beginning. If somebody says, well, you know, how can you not do all this because look at Jesus, he did. We would just say, yeah, he, he definitely did. But let's look closer at what he did. A lot of times what people are claiming to do is different than what Jesus did. Second of all, let's look at why he did it. They had a purpose. And actually a lot of things that we are told, a lot of the things that Jesus did, we're told later in the New Testament that now we do in a different way. Jesus, you know, when they came to pay taxes, how did Jesus do it? He's like, ah, let's go get that fish, pull out a coin. Later, Paul's just like, pay taxes. Because they had a purpose. Those, those miracles had a purpose. And, and, and then finally, let's look at what Jesus said, which is the, the big issue. Because often, if you listen to people promoting this, they seem to focus primarily on what Jesus said was secondary and miss the thing that he said was most important, which is the preaching of the gospel. And whatever we do, we can't get distracted from that. This is of utmost importance, the gospel. Because yes, a healing miracle might save your body for a little while, and that's great. But the gospel has the power, listen to this, this is good news, to save your soul and your body forever and believing that does take a miracle a different kind of miracle but a miracle and that's the miracle that we need most that people need most let's pray lord we want to see jesus we don't want to just know all the right things to say we want to see you jesus and so we ask that your spirit would intervene in our hearts and take away some of the things that distract us and open up our eyes that we might see the glory of you, Jesus, and believe, and that we might walk in your footsteps and have the kind of ministry that you want us to have today that points people not to us as the hero, but points people to you. Please come again, Jesus. Come soon. And, and, and may we believe and be waiting for your return. In your name, amen.